the word of the Lord, according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzlingly white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But, but Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they are coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Today, we celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord. I remember trying to teach this lesson to a group of preschoolers at a VBS in the summer of 2009. The curriculum wasn't written with this age group in mind, so as any freshly graduated high schooler would do, I stuck slovenly with the script. So we came to the object lesson portion, and I took out the geode rocks from the craft box, and I brushed off the red Kool-Aid for Thursday's water-to-wine lesson, and I passed the rock around to the kids. And as they were looking at it, one side was, you know, rough and gray like any old rock, but, but the inside was full of these beautiful crystals. And so I asked the kids, after reading Matthew 17 like we just did, how does this rock remind us of Jesus? Well, I fully expected it and say, why, Christ's two natures, of course, fully divine and fully human. <laughs> well, little Billy's hand shot right up and said, yeah, Billy, do you know? And his eyes got real big and he said, is Jesus made of crystals? Little Susie's hand got up and said, does God smell like Kool-Aid? I forgot how I answered. But I remember his face to this very day, full of excitement, wonder, and awe. I remember being a kid myself and the things I thought about God. For me, God lived behind the altar, because whenever a pastor talked about God, he pointed there. He's probably pointing at the cross, but 
I knew the cross wasn't God, and so I figured God was behind the altar where I couldn't see. I'll never forget the day when the church was empty, lights were off, and, and so I thought I'd, I'd sneak back there to say hello to God. But God wasn't there. My faith in that God shattered that day. Do you remember times in your life where God didn't turn up where you thought God would be? When the real God shows up, it can be a fearful thing. We may be shocked by God because God doesn't look or act or behave how our image, or Calvin might say, idol, appeared. Peter, James, and John, they, they were in for a doozy of a revelation that day when they climbed that mountain up with Jesus. I am both comforted and humbled that Jesus only took three of the twelve with him. I wasn't on that mountain with them, nor was Matthew, the author of today's gospel. But I think we can learn from it as he did and expect our own mountain calls to occur on our journeys with Jesus. When they were up on that high mountain by themselves, suddenly Jesus was transfigured before their eyes. His clothes became dazzlingly bright, and Moses and Elijah appeared alongside him. In response to this, Peter knew what to say. You see, Peter is a man after my own heart. He was always pragmatic and knew how to fix things. A man who knew how to keep the ball rolling and work with his hands and, and accommodate this new information. Peter was the first to raise his hand. Lord, I know what to do. We'll make booze for all three of you. Y'all can stay there, and we're going to corner the market on worshiping on this mountain at these booths. You know, James and John, even they can help. Thank you very much for showing us this. I understand it now. At least that's how I imagine Peter's internal dialogue to have been. But poor Peter didn't get the point. The hints of Moses and Elijah didn't help him either. You see, Moses was buried on an unknown mountain by God and guarded by an angel so none may find nor disturb his tomb in Deuteronomy 34.6 and Jude 9. And as you may remember, Elijah was taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot in 2 Kings 2. I think God knew the temptation was too great. And here, Peter proved the point. Far too often, we see what we want to see. It was after the dazzlingly bright moment that came the reality-changing moment. Hearing God, hearing, changed everything. God the Father spoke out of the cloud, even as God once spoke to Moses when giving the law. This is my son, the beloved, 
With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. At this, the disciples fell to the ground, overcome by fear. Why the fear? Is God scary? Everything in the revelation given to us, God's word, answers no. But this does not mean the disciples did not have good reason to be afraid. Indeed, Matthew recorded it in the gospel to be remembered in the church forever. When Peter, James, and John heard the voice of God, they fell down, trembling. Not all fear is bad, nor is every tremble due to terror. There, there's that fear that we experience in nature. I don't have any memories of the oceans or mountains, but I can remember those awesome thunderstorms that would roll across the Midwest and lightning would arc from horizon to horizon. It is good lawn chair weather, we'd say, as we watched the storm. And then suddenly we had to gather up our chairs and scurry inside before it hit us. There's this deeply captivating power that always held me in awe before scenes like that. Or perhaps you remember reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, that magical land of Narnia and the great lion Aslan. When Peter, Susan, and Lucy first heard of Aslan the lion, Susan asked, Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is a king, I tell you. Perhaps, perhaps our God is like that. Good, but not safe. And certainly not to our domesticated and tame ideas of God. I want to ask a question. In our text for today, was Peter wrong? But maybe that isn't even the right question. Peter did say, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Yes, it's always good for us to be in the presence of God. I can think back to my VBS kids and Billy's crystal Jesus. Maybe... Maybe Billy was thinking that Jesus was the most beautiful person he'd ever experienced. And these crystals were the most precious and beautiful things he'd ever seen. So in asking if Jesus was made of crystals, he was asking, is it really true that Jesus is this beautiful? Maybe, maybe Susie's Kool-Aid-smelling God was comforting like the air in a building where you knew love, or the scent of an old, unwashed sweater. I thought that the God behind the altar wanted me to come closer and talk with him. What did you used to think about God before you got hurt, disappointed, or saw the space was empty? Maybe... Maybe those things weren't wrong, but 
perhaps God was calling us to go up a mountain and hear for ourselves. Perhaps those intimations and feelings were meant to be like memories, cherished, but not the living, breathing person standing in front of them. Jesus touched them. Jesus touched Peter, James, and John. His flesh and blood reached out in a very tangible, physical, and familiar gesture. Jesus' familiar voice then told them, Get up and do not be afraid. Then, looking up, they saw Jesus, their friend, standing in front of them. Yet, yet also the Son of God, the Beloved. Jesus told them not to tell anyone until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Perhaps Jesus knew that such a shattering revelation would take at least that long to process. Their image of God had been shattered. But here was Jesus, God in flesh, standing before them. Jesus touching, talking, loving them, and teaching them how to love God and love neighbor. Truly the sum of all the commandments God gave Moses on that mountain. God had not changed in between Moses and the New Testament, but I think their perception of God was changing and growing each day. Being a disciple is hard work. Even so, it is hard for us today. God is not in the habit of letting our images lay. Not even FaceTime will do. God wants to love us wholly, and that requires an embodied embrace. As the father embraced the prodigal, so does God long to embrace us. C.S. Lewis, the creator of Narnia and that lion Aslan, was a loyal respondent to all of his fan mail. Even on his deathbed, when certainly all would have been most understanding, he took the time to answer the mail. And one five-year-old girl, Ruth was her name, she received some of the last words Lewis ever wrote. She had read his Narnia books and had a question about Aslan. Is Aslan supposed to be Jesus? Yes, Lewis replied. And if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you, and I hope you always do so. Aslan, a Kool-Aid smelling rock, and Peter's beloved misperception. All of these experiences prepared and pointed us to a God who loved us more than we were prepared to accept. I want you to take 10 seconds, 10 seconds right now to think of all the experiences of God that brought you here today. Go ahead. I'll keep track of the time.
Thank you, God, for how you loved us. Even when we did not know what we do now, even in the moments we still feel lost, we know that you love us and will carry us home. Amen.